Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Your host might look a little bit different today. Mitch is out. Producer AB here, Aaron Bree, filling in. Thank you to Joel, Dennis, Mitch, everyone for having me. Excited to hang out with everyone this morning to talk about the market's biggest headlines as we head into the open. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that intro. When I come back, I'll bring on my man, Dennis Dick. Uh, Triple D, and we'll be talking again some about some of the biggest headlines in the market this morning, as well as some of the biggest trades to be had. Uh, so without further ado, let's kick off that intro and get the morning started. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, good morning to everyone in the chat. Scott, friends, Patrick, everyone joining us this morning will wait. I'm sure more people will trickle in. Uh, Let's go ahead and bring on my man, Dennis Dick. Without further ado, the man himself. Dennis, how are you doing this morning? Aaron, how are you? Rocking and rolling. You're pumped this morning. I can just tell. I can feel your energy. I'm loving the energy here. Yeah, I got to bring that energy. You know, look, look, look behind me. It's still a little dark in Detroit, but hey, you can no. see they're, they're already putting up Christmas lights on the trees. So, you know, that time of the year, it's starting to uh, we're, we're getting there quickly, even though and, and I don't know, you know, maybe we'll have time to touch on this because I did see on this in the headlines. It hasn't really felt like fall yet, Dennis, but it is supposed to start cooling off in the next uh, couple of weeks. I think we've throughout. had it hot up here, Georgian Bay, seasonally unbelievable, eighty-one degrees yesterday. It has been hot, but yeah, same thing's going to happen here. We're going to dive. The temperature's going to dive off a cliff here this weekend. It's going to get frigid. I'm going to have to pull my bullet boat out here. I left it in there because I'm like, well, this weather, you're going to keep going boating, but it looks like that's going to come to an end this weekend here. So, I mean. Um, And then you can move into the markets here because we've got a little bit of a rally, a little bit of a bounce here happening. And I think I know why. Well, yeah. And I was just going to say from a segue there, I mean, you're talking about we're talking about the weather getting colder. That could potentially and if you're long oil, could potentially the cold weather increase demand as people start to to, uh, heat their houses and stuff. But let's you know, you said you you might know why the rally is there teasing it. Let's let's talk about it. What, what, What do you think it is, Dennis? It's all oil here today. So what has happened? We talked about the TLT driving the bus. Two days ago, the TLT stopped driving the bus and oil started driving the bus. And what do we mean by that is there has been this inverse correlation between oil and equities. It has been there for two months. We talked about it yesterday. Now, obviously, the S&P started selling off in July right when the USO had its big rally from 60 you know, to 85. If you're looking at the USO, um, obviously, if you're looking at crude, that, that's moved from 70 to 95. So everybody was talking 100 bucks, everybody's talking bullish, can't supply issues, all these issues. What has happened is the trade just got too crowded, and now that trade is coming off, and it's coming off fiercely. We're talking about a 10% down move in the matter of a couple of days here. So equities are loving that, and I mean loving it. And that is why we had the market rally yesterday. Not the IWM, it has a lot of oil components in there, maybe holding it back a little bit, but tech stocks absolutely loving it. Airlines and cruise lines loving it too. Finally, some relief there. 
obviously they're direct beneficiaries from lower oil prices. So you can see them going up um, yesterday and this morning as well. But the sell-off with oil here overnight, I saw it and I'm like, oil selling off here. And I'm like, we got the S&P futures down 15 last night. I'm like, they're going to come in and buy this market back. Because right now, you know, and that's the opportunity that I tell you about, understanding relationships as they evolve. And right now, the S&P cares very much about oil prices, obviously, because it's concerned about inflation. What is the Fed thinking next? So as we see oil dip, that makes us less concerned about inflation going forward. It's the most forward-looking thing we've got. You know, obviously, we can see oil prices. It's tangible. We can go to the pumps. We can see, you know, the consumer can see that, too. So it's very tangible on an inflationary perspective for us to see. We don't have to wait for the CPI to see what oil prices are doing. We know what oil prices are doing. So as that comes down, the market becomes more confident. And that is why you got that rally yesterday. I tweeted it out early, um, just talking about even the TLT, but also talking in the, in the context of oil and talking about it on the show yesterday. Oil is to stay down. Oil continues to sell off. It's a relief rally for equities. So I don't know if it's sustainable because we have a lot of issues under the hood for stocks. But right now, stocks, not oil stocks, but all other stocks are liking the sell-off in oil. So, Dennis, explain this to me. So oil selling off, and, and yesterday we saw big tech trading up. I mean, Tesla was up like 5%, Google, you know, all the big tech stocks. Like you said, equities like the fact that oil was trading off off yesterday. Definitely. Why is that the re- Why do you think that was the reaction yesterday as opposed to, oh, my God, USO is down 4%. Demand is falling for oil that means that the global economy is heading to the recession. Let's sell all stocks. Why Why and, wasn't that the reaction? And this is why, this is why I continue to remain cautious here because I, I, I'm, I'm with you here and I'm following you. And I just got filled on some stocks here. So that's why I get, I get lost when I get filled, filled, filled. But no, actually no, yeah. seeing a little bit of an... So, so going back to your original question here, why you know does the market all of a sudden you know not think that far ahead because the market doesn't think that far ahead the simple answer is the market is very simplistic we think the market can figure everything out and it doesn't it's very simplistic so it's not putting it all together that hey maybe what demand's going down maybe this is going to equal a global recession which i believe it is and that's not going to be good for stocks this market is short-termism it's it's run by a bunch of bots that identify relationships and move price according to those relationships. And that's what, you know, you've got in this market here. So to just, you know, think that, you know, we're, we're going to price in, you know, the global recession right away, this market doesn't do that. What it does is it doesn't want the Fed to go another quarter. This market does not want the Fed to go up. And if we see oil prices starting to come back down here, well, that's an inflationary. Oil prices going up, the Fed's like, ugh. But the oil prices start coming back down and those it helps those inflation numbers. That means the Fed's not going to go and that means maybe lower interest rates. And that's a direct benefit for tech stocks because you know, obviously lower interest rates mean those future earnings are worth more. So there's a lot of things and a lot of stuff to unpack here. There's so many macro. Sometimes we go into this micro environment where it's individual company stories that are driving the bus. And maybe that's going to happen during earnings season. But right now we're out of earnings season. So the drivers of the bus are the macro headlines. It's been it's been rates. It's been all about rates for the last two days. It's about oil. Yeah, and I mean, you know, specifically talking about gas prices, the the increase in gas prices throughout uh, the last few months has been at least in part 
uh, why inflation has remained high, high, remained sticky. So, you know, maybe the market's trying to look ahead and say, okay, oil falling, that means gas should fall, which that means CPI should fall, which then means the Fed might be closer to cutting. But I feel like that's all very, you know, a lot of assumptions being made there about like what's going to end up happening. Um, looking just right here, this is the national average gas prices from AAA. So you can see a month ago yeah. we were at 381 a gallon, now about 377 a gallon. So we are coming down a little bit, but not really enough to where I think it gives consumers any type of really relief at the pump. Um, just, you know, kind of some slight. Well, the good news is there, though, even though if it's just a slight drop, it's not grow. It's not it's not going up. So that means the inflation that people are paying uh, at at gas for gas prices should at least be stable or go down month over month. But it'll be I'll be curious to see. Uh, you know, how this ends up impacting the next and, month's And we CPR know report. oil prices do not immediately impact no. gas prices because they don't want to bring the pumps down and they never go back down to where they were. Even if you get oil coming all the way back down, they never bring the gas prices all the way back down because that's how corporations work. If you're paying, you know, and obviously in Canada, it's different. We're paying like a buck 70 a liter. If it drops to a dollar 50 a liter, like, ooh, a dollar 50 a liter. You don't think about like, you know, it was a dollar pre-COVID here. And now, you know, we're paying a dollar 70. You just got that 20 cents relief and it feels like a relief. So they never come all the way back down. And do I think inflation is tackled because we've had a two-day sell-off in oil? No, I do not. But do I think that there is the potential for this market to, you know, rally off of depreciating oil? I think so. I think it's been the sneaky trade the whole time. So exactly what we were saying, if you look at July, August, September, oil up, up, up. If you look at S&P, July, August, September, down, down, down. There's, it's not a coincidence, folks. It's perfectly inversely correlated, and the bots have picked it up now. So as we see oil go down, they turn around and they buy stocks. And sometimes there's a lag, and there was multiple hours of lag last night where the equities were trading lower, going down, and we're like, so here we go again. We're going to get back yesterday's gains, but not so fast. With oil selling off like that, you had to be skeptical that that sell-off would hold, and now there's some buyers in the market. Does that mean we just come in here and take all our cash and buy stocks? This is it. No, you know, this is day trading hat on. It's identifying little things. And there's still so many issues, Aaron, which you were mentioning, you know, potential global recession. That is not off the table here. There might be a demand problem here for oil. That's not good for stocks. You know, so as we come into earnings season, are there going to be more earnings warnings, which may be a good segue into an earnings warning that we had last night? And that was uh, from who, Dennis? Going into Clorox. So, Clorox. Um, yeah, CLX came out last night. And again, they warned because there was a hack and there was some other stuff in here. I actually did trade this, but stock is down significantly here overnight. Clorox has been just massacred. Again, consumer staples not being attractive because these 3.7% dividends, which were really awesome in a 1% environment, are not awesome in a 5.5% environment. So just the Tina trade being dead, meaning there is alternatives here now has just murdered staples. Clorox obviously a staple as well. So you've seen that stock sell off significantly from, you know, where we were trading just a uh, just about a month ago, we were over 160. Now we're talking about the stock at 126. I mean, at a certain point in time, maybe there is going to be a buy if the TLT starts to rally, some of these other stocks will rally with it. These are more directly correlated with the TLT. But if you jump in, um, there may be some headlines in the pro give us more color on why Clorox warned yesterday. Yeah, so I know Clorox, like you mentioned, the company itself said that there was a cyber attack that cut into its, uh, you know, earnings. Let's go. So Clorox details financial impact of a cybersecurity attack. 
it, it basically, I, I want to get some more details on the attack itself. Let's see. Company expects to experience ongoing but lessening operational impacts in Q2 as it makes progress in returning to normalized operations. Expect uh, to begin to benefit from the restocking of retail inventories. To me, Dennis, I mean, like Clorox, it's just not that exciting of a trade. It's kind of like the Johnson Johnson staple, but still coming out of COVID-19, you know, a few years ago, it's like hard to imagine that demand for Clorox is ever going to be as high as it was three years ago. And I'd rather just not touch or buy a stock of a company when it's coming down from this cycle of, okay, every quarter that we're going to be further away from COVID, sales are going to look less and less. Like To me, that's just not something that I would want to buy into just because the, the stock has now sold off a little bit. And maybe that's the thought process here as well. But when you just take the numbers at face value, and we know all these algos just take numbers at face value, this preliminary re reporting, because they weren't supposed to report, they gave preliminary numbers, so basically guidance, is an epic disaster. They were supposed to make all over a dollar this quarter in Q1. They're looking at a loss of 40 cents to possibly break even. So significantly reduce the guidance. And then they also expect the net sales to decrease 23 to 28% year over year. Now, again, maybe some of that is, you know, doing a great job here, Aaron, because that could be a little bit of the COVID bubble that Clorox was benefiting from before coming off here now. So maybe this is just a Clorox problem. But you see, like, consumer, you know, demand decreasing 23 to 28%, all of this, and you start looking, it's like, holy crap, that's some really serious guidance warning here. And I don't think, you know, like Clorox is, you know, the, the, the staple that we're going to look at that's going to drive the bus at all today. It's going to be completely ignored. Maybe it hits some consumer staples. Obviously, there's some other trades that, you know, could get hit off there. You think about a Kimberly Clark, but, or even a Procter & Gamble, which I am short for full disclosure. Um, but I think you, um, I think you got to look, you know, at, you know, Wait, you said you're, really sh you're short Procter and Gamble, you said, um, that's just on an overnight day trade for, because of Clorox. I was short Procter and Gamble because of Clorox because of the peer trade. So I, I didn't know like if you meant you had like a, a big, more. a big short on the company just overall that you think if you no, had some, like, I, some... Not, I don't have a lot of swing trades on. So these are short-term day trades. It's something that I probably will cover here, you know, today. I just feel like with Clorox down 4%. I feel like you know Procter and Gamble and a Kimberly Clark could get hit a little bit off of it. They're barely down here in the pre-market, but I feel like if Clorox stays down here, there is definitely a relationship between Clorox and Procter and Gamble and Kimberly Clark. Hundred percent. So on the uh, this is from the company itself from Clorox, the cybersecurity. Uh, it, it basically the company believes the cybersecurity attack has been contained. Yada yada. The company is making progress in restoring its systems and operations. On September 25th, Clorox began the process of transitioning back to automated order processing. So, a couple things. It sounds like, and I, I, I haven't you know fully gone into the cyber attack itself, Dennis, but it sounds like a the cyber attack wasn't just like a ransom, like oh we have to pay them a billion dollars. Yeah. It actually shut down operations for the company uh which it took a while or it took at least some time getting back to normal operations and then b it's saying on september 25th so this is all pretty recent i mean this is within the last few weeks uh so maybe it's still going to take even more time to see exactly the impact i don't know how many people out there today are actually really trading clorox and care about the details of that just thought we'd uh give a little bit more color there i think it's I important to know like that you know there's still companies warning here so you know we've seen multiple industries and i think clorox had its reasons and good reasons to do sites so that's why we bring it up here um let's move on to that next headline though we do have another individual story a stock had a huge gain yesterday it's getting smacked around here today and that's rivian 
Yeah, I, the last thing I was going to say on Clarks is it, it does ha- hold a little small spot in my heart. One of my favorite trades of all, or at least over the last like three years, Dennis, was I, I bought puts on a, on a report like this for Clarks. I want to say it was like a year and a half ago. And the stock opened down like 10, 12%. And it was way more than the expected move. So these like cheapo puts that I bought the day before were literally up like thousands of percent. And like literally, that's probably, always a good feeling when you probably you my buy best trade and you actually moves in your direction. Cause most of the time when we buy puts, it seems like the stocks go in the opposite directions. At least. Yeah. And, and it was the fact that it was such a big move on a company like Clorox where the expected move wasn't that high. You know, it wasn't like a Tesla or yeah. a, a stock that has that big implied volatility. So when it did move that much, like the puts paid out a crazy amount. Again, one of my best trades. So, okay. Yeah. Like you said, Rivian closed up 9% yesterday, and, well, it's down about 9% this morning. So, uh, Dennis, take me through this. Why was the stock, A, up so much yesterday, and then, B, down so much this morning? Well, we had a broad tech rally yesterday. Really, if you look, IWM didn't participate at all yesterday, which continues to be a concern, and that's why there's so many issues under the bus for the IWM, including the banks, which I'm starting to worry about significantly. We have another headline, which we'll get to in a little bit on that. Um, but then you go into looking, you know, what was getting bought yesterday. It was tech. Tech was getting bought yesterday. It was getting bought heavy stocks like Rivian, ARKK had a pretty good day reversing off of its lows, but Rivian, you know, had a really good day, really reversing, putting it a double bottom 2155, 2158. And then they just bought the hell out of it. What do they do? This company, obviously it's not cash flow positive here. They need to raise money. They look, you know, we had a 9% rally get that offering out there because now we can get a better price on it. So they shove it down basically their investors' throats here. Stock comes right back to that support level that it was at before. I know Grasso was talking about this on Fast Money last night. Which he's long. I have no position in Rivian, but I do see the support. He's talking about this little double bottom 2150. That's where we are is 2150. We don't know where this convertible is going to be priced. At least I haven't looked. Maybe we do know the pricing of it, but I haven't looked here yet. But I mean, you've got good support here. Does this convertible offering get bought? Would depend on what the overall market does here, and which obviously depends on what oil does as well. Oil turns around and starts staging a rally. It can change things in a hurry. All right, Dennis, I have a, I have kind of a dumb thought question that I feel like this might be kind of my novice investor brain where you're going to come in and say, you know, I like no, dumb that's... questions. All right. In, in an environment where there's this expectation that there's going to be an economic slowdown, that there might be a recession, would it almost make more sense in during those times to then take your stab at gross stocks like Rivian? Because my, my dumb brain thought on it is, well, if, if value stocks like, say, McDonald's or Walmart, whatever, aren't doing that well in a recession environment and they're not giving me that good of a return, then I may as well go with the companies like Rivian that are going to be, you know, they're not going to be growing during that recession time, at least probably not. But But then at least on the other side, you know, maybe will give me a little bit better return than than those Walmart's value stocks that, again, probably wouldn't be doing that great while people are, are cutting back on spending. The issue is when you have startups like Rivian and newer companies, I'm not saying this about Rivian specifically, but if you're just looking at, okay, well, let's buy all these beat up growth names because eventually when we go to an expansion, we're going to start to turn around. I believe that's what you're implying. You know, why not do that? It's Yeah, more problem. so just... Go ahead, finish so, your thought. I, I was just going to say more so just... Well, if the if this stock isn't doing well, like like the whole point in buying value stocks, stocks that are making money is that they're supposed to be safer, they're, you know, whatever than growth stocks. But in a recession environment or or during an economic downturn, a lot of times those stocks get hit too, the value stocks. So it it, it makes the risk 
in in investing in growth stocks, I feel like there's less risk because you know you don't have that safety in the other stocks. I I think it depends on the severity of the recession and the pullback as well, because you can have some growth names which could get their legs and really start to build themselves up in 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 you know um, an expansion, and then you know the recession comes and then they start to fall off, and some of them might not even survive the recession because they're too young and too you know starting up. We're not talking about the apples here. You're talking about smaller growth names that are just trying to get their footing trying to you know build their cash flow negative there's zombie companies so they so a lot of these companies may not be able to sustain themselves through a serious recession so that's why you have to be careful with just going and buying all the Kathy Wood stocks and saying yep you know eventually these companies are going to turn around and you know we're going to benefit because some of these companies may not survive that recession and maybe they have you know good growth potential there but it may never come to realization if they can't survive the recession i keep talking about this because i do believe there is a global recession coming it's why i i've predicted and i've said i said it a little bit early i believe the top is in for oil and i'm going to continue to go with that trade and that's not because of supply it's because i'm not even looking at the supply side i think global demand is going to fall off a cliff I think the consumer is strapped. I think the consumer is starting to run out of money. I think discretionary purchases are going down. I think it's going to show up in this earnings season. And that's why, uh, and especially in the guidance. And that's why, you know, caution. So, you know, you could go back and say, well, maybe I should just go buy value stocks. then. you know, like, obviously you're looking, you know, if you get a dip on all these stocks long-term. And Aaron, how old are you now, Aaron? I'm going to ask your age. How old are you? I'm 26, 26 years old. You have your whole life ahead of you. So we're going to go right back. When you're 26 and just getting started, and if you've got some excess of cash and you want to invest, I mean, you're 30-year time horizon before you're ever even going to think about starting to use some of this money. So, I mean, could you go and be buying some of these growth stocks on dips? I think a portfolio, maybe. Just be careful that you don't don't buy a whole pile of the same types of stocks like Kathy Wood, and then you watch your fund fall 70 80%. I still think diversification. I think there's a lot of opportunity in some of the value names here because I think the baby's being thrown out with the bathwater. I think there will be an opportunity to buy some staples. I think there will be an opportunity to buy some utilities. And that's going to be when the TLT starts to turn it around. It's my indicator for those stocks. There are always positive correlation between staples and utilities and the TLT. Um, so just keeping an eye on bond yields is going to help you make, you know, time those entries a little bit better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, and, and yeah, EKS was saying buy buy growth when it or buy growth when it's out of favor. That's that's why I was saying it was a dumb question. It, was that that everything? I'm just gonna say it's it's a good idea if you have a long term time horizon. So putting the long term investing hat on. I'm 47 years old. I probably got like 10 years that I feel like I'm going to trade for another 10 years. So I have some time, but you're starting to get, you know, I have 30 years ahead of me. I wish I was in your shoes and had 30 years ahead of me here, Aaron, but I don't. So, I mean, I'm probably going to reasonably think about, you know, 55 to 57. You start to maybe use some of this money that you've accumulated to live on. So I'm in a little bit different where I've kind of moved. When I was your age, I was buying growth, buying growth, buying growth. And, you know, and I think it's not a bad idea if you're a young person to buy growth. I think yeah. you still have to look, though, and make sure you're not just buying a bunch of zombie companies that have a story attached to them. Because right. we have no idea. Rivian is a story stock. We have no idea if Rivians are going to take over. I think, you know, Rivian's probably uh, on the pure EV plays. It's probably the second best next to Tesla on the pure EV ones. I think their sales show, you know, that they're up and there. So is Rivian going to survive? I think so. Is Rivian worth the valuation it's currently? I don't know that. I never thought Tesla was worth what it was, but then we saw what Musk did with the company. 
So, I mean, it depends on management, depends on things, but there are certain, you know, value stocks that are kind of no brainers that, you know, are going to be there. Like, I mean, you know, you jump in, like, is Coca-Cola going out of business? Really? You know, like, are you going to a zero on that? Probably not. I mean, is it going to fall off another 20, 30%? Well, if it did that, I would buy it myself. So I think it's just perspective. And obviously, every investor and every person who's listening to the show is in a different situation. So you have to understand your own financial situation, your time horizon, why you're going in the trade. What's your time horizon going in? Just don't let those short-term trades become long-term investments because they went down on you. Yeah. And I think, you know, probably the kind of answer to my, you know, quote unquote, dumb question is that like, look, if we do head to recession and we build two different portfolios, Dennis, and yours is full of value stocks and then mine's full of growth stocks and everything gets hit, probably chances are my portfolio is down like 30, you know, plus percent and yours is only down about like 10, 15. So, you know, even though I'm saying, oh, well, you know, you don't have the safety of value stocks because they're going to go down in a recession too. Chances are, they're not going to go down as much as some of these gross stocks like Rivian. Um, and, but then again, like you said, it depends on the recession. If, if you know that recession is mild and then the Fed starts cutting rates, maybe the gross stocks do outperform in that cycle. Yeah. Who knows? But it's not it's not black and white like, OK, now's you know the time to buy X. Now's the time to buy Z. You're going to have you know, times where, you know, some will outperform, but let's go, well, you know, just before we wrap up on Rivian, I mean, you mentioned, you think it might be the second best pure EV. I actually mentioned this the other day, talking about Rivian that almost you could, if you wanted to like bet against Tesla, I, I wouldn't go out and short Tesla stock. It seems like that has just been proven time and time again to be a bad investment decision yeah. to go short Tesla stock. Maybe going long Rivian would be a way where in your head you could be like, yeah, I'm kind of betting against Tesla here, betting on its biggest one of its biggest competitors, and over time hope that it's able to capture some of Tesla's market share. Uh, I don't know if it doesn't seem like Rivian's really going to be in a position to compete head up with Tesla anytime soon, but it does seem like this industry is growing and growing and growing and that there may be room for a player like Rivian to come in and capture at least some percentage of the market share. I think share. so. I think there's room for more companies. It's just a matter of what you're paying for that potential growth. I mean, if you go into the pro and you can do this exercise with us, I go to the details and I literally just look at what is the valuation. You know, first look at market cap. Does it seem reasonable? And I mean, at one point in time, Rivian was trading with a $100 billion market cap for a company that didn't even have any sales. That was ridiculous. You come to a $22 billion market cap. I can remember when I was first looking at Tesla and it had like a $30 billion market cap. And you're like, well, this is the same as Ford. You know, does this make any sense? But what we didn't consider was their margins were so much better. Their labor costs were better. They didn't need the market because they had the word of mouth. They had so much of that stuff going with them. So you have to consider all of that stuff as well. I'm not sure Rivian is Tesla though. So I do think, though, if you like pick five EV companies, you can't have any of the big ones. Like don't talk Toyota, pure EV plays that don't make, you know, gas cars. I mean, you're going to think about Tesla like number Fisk, one. Fisker. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I've always ahead. liked the idea of Fisker because I like Henrik Fisker. So I have talked about him before and I don't think Fisker is a zero. I think that they will actually. Um, you know, I think a lot of these companies are zeros, but I don't think Fisker. But yeah, I'll throw it to you. You pick your five. I'll pick my five. I mean, just the top EVs that, like, I'm not saying these are the top five. Tesla invested. number one. There's no doubt who's number one. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have Tesla. You have, um, let's see, ones that actually have cars on the road right now is tough. Like, you have Lucid Motors, Tesla, uh, some of the Chinese ones, Xpeng. 
uh, Boyd, the uh, uh, Buffett back Chinese one, Fisker. Who am I missing? I'm, I know I'm missing. And there's a lot of little ones that you know have went pretty much gone. So yeah, I mean I'm not going to count like Arkimoto FUV. Yeah, you know, but I'm, there I'm, was I'm, so I'm, many. Like I mean, think to 2020, we had like a hundred of these things, and they're starting to you know yeah. fizzle out. So there so, was one so with... you're identifying the same ones I would. The clear winner here is Tesla, and then you have Rivian, which is starting to emerge as the number two. So I would say Rivian is the number two that pure EV plays. Like I think Toyota is going to sell more EVs than Rivian. I think General Motors and Ford eventually are going to sell more EVs than Rivian. But they're trying to figure out their own issues right now. We're talking about pure EV plays. So we can't talk Toyota or Honda or any of those. So Tesla number one. I put Rivian number two. You could put Lucid in there. I, I I think Fisker has a place there. I think, you know, Neo. I think the Chinese automakers, X-Bank. I think those all have a place there too. I would identify the similar companies there. But if you look here, you're like, we're reaching after Rivian, really. You know, you can see why Rivian has the higher market cap because we're kind of reaching a little bit. We're guessing, oh, Fisker, well, Lucid, they have the Saudis behind them. But, you know, you can clearly see Tesla number one and you can kind of see who's number two. They're kind of setting the pack back. You know, Rivian has got some sales. You know, it's some serious sales that they're starting to make here. So you can kind of see that they're becoming number two. So then if you've identified them as number two and you're just big on EV, maybe you want to buy them or maybe you got to look at valuation and say, well, maybe if we go into this global recession that, you know, Denny is talking about and Aaron's 26 years old and looking at a pullback, maybe Rivian gets hit and maybe it is the stock you want to pick up at $15 if it ever got back down there again. You know, there is that possibility. That's kind of my thought process here. I think Fisker is going to be a buy eventually too. I've played it a few times here. It's consolidating. It's not going down. I do think there's a place for Fisker here. And I actually just like Henrik Fisker. I've watched him on a lot of stuff. I'm a fan. At, at, at this point, like, why did Tesla succeed, Aaron? You know, why was Tesla so, you know, like, you know, why did they turn around and take so much market share and dominate EV? Why really was it? Well, we know because why. Because people like Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. Yeah, It was Elon Musk. I mean, look at what this guy has done. He comes from PayPal, you know, to, you know, doing SpaceX, which he's doing stuff that NASA couldn't even do. I mean, incredible minds that he hires. So he's just, you know, and is he the incredible mind? Yeah, he is. But he's the entrepreneur. He is the brains of running this whole thing. He's not the one figuring out how to land that, you know, that rocket on that pad. He hires the people, puts the people in place that can figure that crap out. So he's just an exceptional entrepreneur, the stuff that he's done. So if you can yeah, identify, I, I, like, I mean, I mean, even go back to, you know, the exceptional entrepreneurs, you know, who is better than Steve Jobs? I mean, created everything. So, right. you know, Elon Musk is like Steve Jobs, you know, just workaholics. Steve Jobs was the same thing. Worked nonstop. Work first, family second. I mean, that's maybe not what you want to do in life. But as a, as a company that you want to invest in, those are the people you want to invest in. Yeah, I always, I mean, I, I understand the comparisons. I see, I see personally some kind of like stark differences between Jobs and Elon Musk, but also some, some very big uh, similarities. Um, but yeah, just wrapping up on the Rivian talk, I mean, you know, looking at the market caps, Rivian's about 20 billion, Tesla's about 800 billion. So Rivian right now, about 140th of the size. Fisker, about 1,400th of the size of Tesla with a $2 billion market cap. Yes. So like you said, you kind of see those clear levels, 800 bill for Tesla, 20 bill for Rivian. And then way below that, you have Fisker and these other little guys that are all that like all under 10 bill. bill. There huh? will be a few 
of the $2 billion ones that emerge. I think Fisker could be one of them. I could be wrong. It would be lottery. If I'm buying Fisker, I don't have my long-term portfolio, but it eventually is going to go back in there. I just, timing of it's going to be critical. I think Fisker could be one of those that goes from $2 billion to $20 billion eventually. When you go $20 billion to $200 billion, it's harder to do that. So like if you're just looking at risk-reward setup, a Fisker at $2 billion is a bit more attractive to me than a Rivian at $22 billion because right now, while Fisker can just get to Rivian size, there's that opportunity to pick up a 10-banger. But Rivian has to get start thinking about getting to Tesla size to start getting up into that you know category there. So, I mean, that's why, you know, you've got to look sometimes just that market cap matters. I mean, let's go to the stupidest one of all. This is a fantastic conversation, by the way, AB. Vin, Vin Fast Auto. This may have been one of the dumbest things that I have seen. And I've seen a lot of dumb stuff. 2020 existed. What is it? I've I don't seen even a know. lot of dumb I stuff. I don't even know the ticker. VFS, VinFast Auto, which is the Vietnamese automaker, came public. Well, I don't even know how long. It wasn't very long ago. Let's go look. Like August about, August. August 15th. So you're talking two months ago. Comes public. And that bloody market cap got up to, and again, this is what matters. The VFS market cap, I believe at one point in time, was over $100 billion. That made no sense at all. None of these cars on the road. That's what me and Mitch were saying. It was all just, you know, the float was really short. They squeezed a little bit off the bat. And then the options came out and killed all of that. And, you know, insiders were probably dumping to dumb retail. Anybody who was buying that thing at 40, 60, 80 was dumb money. It is never coming back there. Maybe you get a squeeze, it comes up to 8 to 12 or something. But the market cap on this puppy is still $18 billion. It's still worth as much as Rivian. And I don't see any of these been fast autos. And over there, they're certain. So that was just dumb money buying. So, I mean, you, you can see that, you know, there's opportunities in this market, but there's also like stuff that you clearly have to stay away from. And obviously, this Vinfast Auto was one of them. So, yeah, I mean, and you see some of these crazy, I mean, it reminds me of, I mean, we, we saw that with Rivian. I mean, Rivian's stock probably won't be back to its IPO highs for, you know, probably it wasn't as drastic as this, but for probably, you know, 10 years, even if Rivian does, like you said, figure it out and start getting toward Tesla's valuation, it's probably going to be years before it's even back to where it IPO'd at. And you have other, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm very wary of buying these stocks. Like after, after watching what happened with Coinbase, Rivian, all these other ones, I just like, if you like a stock that goes public, chances are you're going to be able to buy it for way cheaper than what it's listed at within the within the first like six months of it being on the market i mean and, very... and we have obviously you know that our, our, our guest comes on and talks about the ipo life cycle trade and eric kroll we're talking about here and i mean he has identified that is a very bad idea to be buying these stocks on day one a very bad idea Yep. And I mean, so so putting a button on the Rivian conversation, Dennis, it sounds like out of all the companies you discussed, if you were going to take a stab at one, you would like to go with Fisker just because, like you said, and this is this was put, you know, like this yeah. makes so much sense to me that you would rather bet that Rivian's able to grow from where it's at to kind of where Rivian or sorry, where Fisker's at right now, where Rivian's at. Co correct. Instead of yeah. where Rivian's going to be able to grow. I might. Take the other route and say, I'd rather buy Rivian here right now, just because kind of what we talked about earlier, I have a very long time horizon. I'm willing to bet that Rivian is able to over the next 20 years. I don't know if it's going to be ever as big as Tesla. I'm not saying that Rivian is going to get to an $800 billion market cap, but with its head start where, where I, you know, I think it's 
a, a decent amount further along than Fisker is right now, that it seems like I'd rather like bet on the on the dog with some momentum. It seems you know what I'm saying that it, it's going to be able to kind of keep this going. It's selling trucks already. You're starting to see them on the road. I wouldn't mind taking a stab at Rivian right here, honestly. And I'm going to watch kind of how it's trading today to see if maybe I do want to start some sort of a starter position. And again, you're just saying that Rivian can get up there and take some market share. And I'm not going to say, I think Rivian, I'll say this. I think Rivian is a safer bet than Fisker in the fact that I don't think you lose all your money in Rivian. I think there's a possibility you could lose all your money in Fisker. I don't think Rivian is a zero. I've said Lucid, I'm not sure about. I had a $5 price target on Lucid when it was $35. It actually hit that finally about a week and a half ago, got to $4.97 and bought out. They got the Saudis behind them, so I don't think it's a zero either, but I don't think it's this you know, screaming investment here either. And the reason here, so we've had a number of things happen. We've been in this automotive talk, and we're going to bring Tommy Lackey into the conversation in a minute. We see you, Tommy Lackey, in the background. We're going to bring you in. We had initial jobless claims came in a little bit light here, 207000 versus 210000 um, that's why you're seeing a lot of volatility on the S&P here right now. But what we've also had happen in the last 20 minutes is we've had an oil rally. So the S&P started to sell off because oil has actually turned around here a little bit. We were down quite a bit. If you bring up, you know, you can bring up USO, you can bring up crude futures if you want to see it. You won't see it on that chart because that's a very short-term chart or a very long-term chart. But you'll see here in the last hour, see what oil has done here in the last yep. hour? We're on we started the two ripping chart here. higher. Bring up the S&P and show the difference here. So S&P was rallying. And now all of a sudden the S&P starts selling off. Man, so Dennis, you might be you, really going down. You might be onto something with this little, you know, uh, you know, uh, inverse correlation trade here where spies going up and, and oils or, or oils going up, spies going down and vice versa. I mean, I, I don't care what anyone says about you, Dennis. And, you know, you're a pretty sharp guy sometimes. I, I think that's why we just had this recent sell off here. So I think that's where we're at. All right, well, we'll keep watching that throughout the day to see if that kind of correlation continues. Uh, like you mentioned, we've got a big guest hanging out backstage. We've got Tommy Lackey, the managing partner and portfolio manager at Relativity Capital Advisors. Uh, I think without further ado, Dennis, let's go ahead and bring Tommy on the stream, see what Tommy's been watching. All right, Mr. Lackey, welcome to Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. I'm uh, producer AB hopping in for Mitch and Joel today. How are you this morning? Doing well. Great to see you and meet you. Um, obviously, everybody else I've met quite a few times around here, so it's nice to see a new face. Don't have to look. Yeah, well, they all speak. They all speak very highly of you. Um, and and so Tommy, you know, kind of an exciting morning time to get you on the on the show. Markets have been pretty wild the past week or two. What has been kind of top of mind for you? What have you been watching the most? Well, I think it's just a matter as we get to some of these levels that are either target levels off the highs or back to some reasonable or potential, I don't want to say for sure support, but potential support areas after a pretty fast run. Um, one of the things we've talked a lot about in the last couple of years as I've come on is the change in velocity of moves and how they are really what causes a lot of these different disconnections in my, in my opinion. It's not the moves themselves, it's how quickly they're actually happening. And I think that has definitely changed since the pandemic type or the pandemic timing that we came through. Um, just like in the velocity, I think that I would focus on here, maybe a little more than an ES and uh, crude correlation is the dollar. Um, the dollar has been on a straight up move, which I think has befuddled a lot of people. 
um, based on, you know, us still being the best of the worst out there when it comes to economies around the globe to some extent. And that's where a lot of times you're going to get dollar strength. Um, I think that can affect crude more than anything. It's been pulling back here short, but the, this morning, about the same time crude turned, you started seeing it in the VIX kind of turn as well. So I'm not yeah, sure. And, TL, and, TL, to, and Tommy, to Spinner's point here, TLT started selling off here too, um, So which is not good either. So there's two things working against equities in the last 20 minutes, a TLT sell off and the rally in oil. Um, I love what you say about the dollar too. Uh, the one consideration here is what I will say is um, how much of this dollar strength is simply people in other countries converting to U.S. dollars to pick up 5% in treasuries. I mean, a lot well, of it, it's probably the bottom line. It's the yield driving the U.S. dollar strength. Well, and I think, I again, I think it goes back to, I try to look a little further back, even though I don't like big fundamental and macro stuff, is the idea of, I agree with you, all of these things are almost like a spiral or self-fulfilling things that feed on each other. But the reality is, is the reason they would be seeking our 5% yield is they're concerned about not making more than that in their economies. So again, we're still the best of the worst out there right now, even if we do end up going into a recession or something over the next six, nine months or something of that sort. Um, I still, and we talked about it last time, my mindset right now is still that that's probably gonna be sometime next year that we see more of those difficulties if they come. Um, I don't know if I mentioned on here last time, but the one thing I've been looking a lot more at, and I think Liz on Saunders was the first one that mentioned it, that I saw is, you know, I used to always talk about the rolling corrections from sector to sector. Well, she talked about a rolling recession and it moving from sector to sector as opposed to hitting all at once. And with our uh, segmentation we have in the markets, the ability to invest in so many themes and stuff like that, I think that's a bigger chance now than it ever has been in history that the recession doesn't necessarily have a hard landing where everything hits at once, but they periodically or, or methodically Wall Street or money people or whatever go through and kind of raid each one of these one at a time without scaring everybody. And again, that's just my speculation. Tommy, I just want to get your feel going forward here too, because actually nobody called this really this market this year better than you. I mean, you came on our show in January or February and talked about, you know, the rally being sustained for the first half and then the slowdown coming in the second half. I mean, holy cow, clockwork here, Tommy Lackey. The market was listening to you because these stocks topped out in July and have been straight down here for the last couple of months. So my question to you is, Tommy Lackey, crystal ball here. I mean, as we enter the final quarter, do we get some relief here or do you think that, you know, the sellers now are in control? Well, first thing I'll say is, is if only I had followed my own advice better. I, <laughs> I never do that either. <laughs> now, but at the same time, um, yeah, no, really where we sit is, is I think we're at kind of somewhat of a cusp, but we're also at a very traditional period for buyers to show up when nobody thinks they're gonna. Okay. And that goes back down to money flow. That goes back down to some demographics. That's really going to go back down to how scared real institutional players really are um, not hedge funds i'm talking about your goldman's your guys that that play their prop desk the, the, where they shuffle around money and that's what us as technicians should be following those footprints 
And so that's what we have to watch right here. I think we've pulled back as far as, as we should over the last week, if this is just a normal pullback. Over the last week, we've started to get quite a few very small and intermediate breadth signals. If you watch my Twitter account last week, I started posting the short-term breadth snapshot that I post from time to time as it started getting more and more red or pink. And see, that's a thing you've got to really look at. Yesterday, it was as red and pink as I have seen it uh, all year, even a little more than it was in the March-April areas. Now, again, if we're getting that oversold, we're getting that washed out, and yet we still are above some important technical levels, that tells me that we've got a better chance of this trend having potentially continuing. Now, at the same uptrend, not downtrend, uptrend, meaning this correction could be a normal ABC correction. If you, yeah. look, uh, if you look at SPY right now, it looks like a wonderful looking zigzag. Again, call it what you will, but the bottom line is those two are almost exactly equal length. Again, technicals aren't perfect, but boy, that sure is lining up pretty good if we find buyers here. If we don't and fall right through it, then that probability has been broken. And now we look for deeper pullbacks, but we have some Fibonacci numbers here. We have some other type of breadth scenarios to where the NIMO got uh, washed out, the McClellan oscillator got washed out. Some of those things that are there over this last week. And then we've started seeing, uh, as one of my old friends used to say, is that they're starting to put in stakes. I mean, they're starting to put some stakes in the ground to decide if this is where they want to plant their feet and start building back. And that's, yeah, that's what we're seeing. We, we've got the SPY pulled up on the daily chart right here. If uh, Tommy, if you want us to look at it on a different time frame, just let me know. So you mentioned, you know, you know, kind of seeing if institutional investors come in here uh, and start kind of maybe buying this dip. Have you, do you stay up to date with like, you know, the uh, metrics and the data of how much total cash there is on the sidelines, so to speak, on Wall Street? Is there a lot of institutions that are holding uh, you know, a bunch of cash wanting, ready to get back in the market right now. Well, yeah. I mean, it's higher than normal right now. You've also got a scenario to where the name, uh, their index is now back down, I think in the forties, which is one of the lower levels of the year. And that's your, that's your, uh, active investment managers. Um, and again, I think we would be foolish because of what Dennis said earlier to be looking at the consumer to be the one that jumps in here and props it up because number one, but for the markets, that's almost never the ones that jump in and prop it up as the retail person. And number two, that's all technicals really are, is watching the big footprints of the institutions. Yeah, and I'd imagine, and I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I imagine like from, from the retail perspective, obviously we've seen a dip in activity from the COVID markets when everyone, you know, was sitting at home, had nothing better to do than to trade stocks on Robinhood and everyone got stimulus checks. But I'd imagine for the most part, you have your people, uh, you know, like myself, that when I get paid every two weeks, a portion of that money goes into the market. And that probably stays the same, right? Like there's probably not a lot of people that, okay, SPY is down 20%. I'm going to stop making my biweekly investments into the market. So I'd imagine for a lot of retail kind of buy and hold investors, that stays, uh, you know, pretty consistent through even when the market correct. dips. Is that is that correct? Correct. And that changes the dynamics of the market versus two decades ago when a lot of people still had pensions. Now, if you find a pension, it is really the exception to the rule. 
So everyone who's saving for retirement is going to some kind of an equity base or some kind of market based scenario. And that is a lot where we get some of the underlying stability. Again, remember, I wasn't trading in the 70s. But if you think back to that, you know, you didn't have you had a few big mutual funds. You didn't have all these ETF players. You didn't have your Black Rocks and your State Streets and places like that that are really exerting a level of control. Now, some people say that's going to roil the markets eventually. And it's really not because if they take that money out, it has to go somewhere and they have absolutely nowhere better for it to go than our economy. Um, and so that's the downside is it's just a lot of flow coming in and that allows for some propping, especially in the largest of securities, why we've seen the big, as they call it, the Magnificent Seven now or things like that have profited and had stayed higher most of everything else is because they're considered the safe havens, not bonds, not these other games. So I got a, a couple follow-up questions for you, Tommy. If, I mean, what do these big institutional players, your Goldman's, et cetera, what do they need right now to give them the confidence to say, okay, we, we should kind of take some of our money off the sideline, deploy some of our dry powder, start buying things down here. What are they looking for? Some sort of relief on the, on the rates, on the yields? Well, I'd love to think that that is it, and that probably should be some, or at least some feeling because again, if markets are six to nine months out looking that they're not looking at the end of this year, they're really looking into next year. But at the same time, again, um, I hate to say it, but a lot of the money managers, and we've talked about this before too, a lot of the people who are actually in control of these assets now have never seen a large downturn. So you're saying that they're, they're newer? A lot of the guys managing these assets have not been in the markets long enough to see a 2003 to two, or 2000 to 2003 or 2007 to 2009. They've only looked at Fantastic it in the point. And I believe that I'm not trying to insult anybody because they're working on learning it and all that too. But I believe having that control shift we've seen in the last decade, and we really did see the big shift after the great financial crisis. A lot of the old guys just said, all right, I'm done, had enough. I got plenty of money. And so that's what I think we're seeing is we're seeing a contingent of people running a lot of money who don't have never seen this before. And I think that's where the fragility comes in to some extent. But again, I still think we have to fall back on it used to be the Fed put. Now I think it might be the large ETF passive put or the 401k put or whatever you want to call it that there is some support under these markets because of that continual flow that will constantly be put in and has to go into the U.S. stock market. Yeah, and maybe even some of the guys that were around for 2007, 2008, you, it might be easy to kind of forget about some of that stuff when you're in a 15 market bull run and, and you know, the, the, the pain from what you went through in 07, 08 kind of doesn't sting as bad anymore after a 15 market bull run, so they might... Some of them might get, you know, might need to be reminded again. Who knows? Um, but my, my other, you know, this will be the last one for me, Tommy. But when and if this money does start coming off the sideline from institutions, I mean, what does that kind of look like? Are they is it is it, you know, money that they're managing for wealthy individuals? Is it their funds that they're going to try to invest to just, you know, make some money through their funds? Like, what are they going to be actually doing with this money? Buying individual stocks? buying, you know, certain ETFs, like where, where do you think that money is eventually going to be flowing into? Well, again, that depends on the size of the institution. Again, most large institutions are going to buy individual securities because they're paying a big team to find them, whether they're any good at it or not. They're going to be buying individual securities and then hedging it with ETFs. 
Okay, that's what your biggest players tend to do. They don't tend to buy ETFs unless they're just trying to fill a short-term slot. They buy stocks and then they hedge with the ETFs. That's why it's so hard to read volume on the SPY and things like that because there's so much of that that is hedging. But at the same time, it's a scenario to where, and I've got something I'm just going to say. At the end of this, I want to add something myself before we leave. But from this yeah. stance, I think you still have to go with the sector level and you still have to go with the areas that they feel they still have future growth. Like it or not, technology is still where a very large part of our earnings growth is and our earnings are. Whether it's taken a hit the last couple of years or not, I think if we all look down and said, okay, who has the best opportunities to innovate and change and put something else without all the infrastructure costs that some of the physical goods type manufacturers have, it's still technology and it's going to be. Now, you might have to be in the right space and you might have to be careful about not just spreading it everywhere. But I think that's why those big companies, have, that's the second layer of why they continue to get all the flow is not only is that the area with all the stocks in it, those are the biggest companies that they know, you know, if something bad were to happen, they're going to be the first ones to be able to go to the Fed or whoever and say, help me. Yeah. And they know that. And so from that stance, I just think you have to weigh that out. But I'll, I want to answer whatever questions you'll have. But before y'all let me go, I want about a minute because I think there's something very important to put on yeah, the, the longer term bull case. Okay, go let's ahead. hear it. Yeah, hit, okay. hit yeah. us with it. Hit us with well, it, Lackey. I saw just recently, and I, I saw it back in July and then just saw it just recently, but Chris Cavaccio, I don't know if y'all ever have Chris on, um, really nice guy. He used to uh, write for Real Money. He's now a money manager out of Atlanta. He does a really good video every weekend. He does a bunch of other stuff, but he did a phenomenal video recently on demographics and on the power of demographics and on making a comparison of the baby boomers and the millennials and peak spending years and peak uh, retirement years and where they kind of back off their productivity and all those things. And I think that would be something very important for everyone to go back and look at right now. Because one of the things that does keep me positive on this market is I believe we are in a secular bull market, even if we're in a cyclical bear market. I believe that is time by generations and I believe we as investors have very little control over that, not even the institutions. When you have a huge part of your contingent economy in their peak spending, peak productivity, and peak earning years, all at the same time, that is going to drive the economy. And if you go back and watch Chris's video, he makes an extremely good case as to why on the larger view, we probably have some time into the 2030s for this to continue to ramp up. And we all know what happens in long-term bull markets, but magnitude of those returns as that continues to compound up and towards the end increase in slope a lot, typically, you have pretty big, massive compounded returns over those time periods if you're not scared out the entire time. So that's where those guys putting in monthly money, I think are gonna do phenomenal. I think those of us who actually pay attention to the markets and are willing to make shifts can still do very well, even if we do go into a continue this down market right now or go into recession next year. I believe the overall backdrop may even be too big for our idiots in Congress to screw up. And that's how big demographics really are. And people who ignore them, I think, are foolish. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of like the Warren Buffett adage of, of, you know, like whatever you do, just don't bet against the U.S. economy that over time, uh, you, you know, like you said, a lot of these kind of companies, those those uh, returns start to compound. And 
I mean, but it's more importantly than just over time. It's this secular nature of where we are after going through a 10 to 14 year bear market at the beginning of this century. The fact that we're that's now true in, too. In what's typically we have, we went from basically 2000 to around 2013 was Nowhere. a bear market. Yes, we had yeah. a big ramp up from 2009, but the bear market did not end until then. And so that was basically 14 years. Yeah. And that's very typical. If you look at a 40 year demographic chart, you have about 14 years there and you have somewhere between 17 to 20 years or so of bull market and then some kind of wandering in the middle. Well, right now we're probably seven, eight years into a bull market. That's probably going to be 17 years or so long. So is, is there, use these I mean, opportunities, use these, AB's doing it right. He's doing the dollar cost averaging, doing it right. I mean, if you're young, I won't argue with that. Correct. Well, I do it. That's I, a great point. The younger you are, the more dollar cost averaging should be one of your main focuses. I'm not saying day trading, but something I try to tell all my old all my older clients is the idea of having a passive diversified portfolio at retirement is foolish. That's when you should have been dollar cost averaging because you can take advantage of all the big fluctuations over time. But if you're already retired, whoever's working with you, whoever your advisor is, needs to be active because their job is just as much protecting your money as it is growing it because you don't have a whole nother pot of money you can come back with and dollar cost average in the next pull down. So most of these guys are out there convincing people that, yeah, you're retired, just diversify it out and let it ride. Well, how'd that work for you in 2022 with a 60-40 portfolio? You got yeah. crushed. Yeah, crushed. Right. And so be realistic. Someone needs to be paying attention, especially when you're retired and you don't want to day trade, but they have to be active enough to be conscious about the market changes. Well, there you have it. Uh, Tommy, I'm dropping your Twitter in the chat at JT Lackey. If you guys want to go check out more from uh, Tommy Killing and Mr. Lackey. Killing it. Thank yeah. I mean, we're getting some, you know, the chat's loving you right now, Tommy. So thanks again for hopping on with us this morning. It was great to meet you. Hope we can uh, continue these conversations at some point in the future. Awesome. Great being with you guys, as always. Have a great one, Dennis. Good seeing you, buddy. Thanks, Tommy. You as well. All right, guys, that was Tommy Lackey. Again, Twitter is in the chat, at JT Lackey, if you want to. Well, I, I'm saying Twitter, but it's really his uh, his X.com. I hate somewhere. the X thing. Like, I'm going to call Square. I will call Google. Never alphabet. It will be Google forever. I will call Square Square forever. It's never going to be Block. And I'm going to call Kellogg's because they got now Kellanova. It's always going to be Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, not Kellanova Frosted Flakes. And I will always call. I don't remember where we started on that one, but <laughs> I will Twitter always call X, Twitter. Twitter, Twitter. It you, will you want to know what, what you know? What, you want to know what one really gets me, Dennis, is the fact that Restoration Hardware rebranded to RH because then I'm like, OK, what does RH stand for? What, what, well, you can't that, you can't have a, a company called RH because then I'm gonna be like, wait, what does RH stand for? Oh, Restoration Hardware. Okay, so then what? Well, that's your name, oh, your Restoration. That's still the name. You know, it's like Weight Watchers is WW now. Okay, what's what WW? Yeah, is I don't this, know. Why do we pay these executives millions of dollars to change the names of the companies? Like, why? I mean, I is know. this the big decisions that these executives are getting paid to make? Oh, we're gonna change the name of this company. From restoration hardware to RH, I mean, come on. Yeah, and that's going to drive sales. These big execs shouldn't get paid this much.
Right. And I mean, that was, that was, that, you know, that was someone's big project for the year was overseeing that change. And they got paid oh, probably yeah. two, $250,000. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Dennis, it's 8.59 a.m. Eastern time. Market's opening in 31 minutes. Anything we want to get to before we wrap up? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with the uh, chat. Um, okay. So did bus drivers, Spinner, fantastic point. TLT started breaking down at the same time. USO started rallying. So you can see all these relationships. The bots have taken over and they're moving all this stuff perfectly. You know, stocks and TLT moving together, which they don't normally do, but right now they do. And oil moving exactly opposite, which they don't always do, but they normally do. Understand all those relationships. If the leader comes out, like oil was the leader yesterday, if TLT is going to be your leader today, and you cannot have the TLT making new lows. 84.88 was the low two days ago. It cannot make new lows. It will spook the hell out of the market. Keep your eye there. I still have a position on TLT. It's a small one, but it's there. Um, I've been nibbling, starting to nibble. Maybe think of dollar cost averaging to some bonds there, AB. Anyone know a name change that did work? That's a good question, Ben. I'll, tomorrow, uh, I'll be back on with Dennis. I'll do some uh, research into maybe some of the most successful rebrands in talk. corporate history. Man, our chat is good. That's a great topic. Um, yeah, and I've got, uh, Dennis, remind me tomorrow. I do have a, a potential trade I want to talk about and run by you because it's kind of more something that it's just a – a theory, a hypothesis that I have right now that I want to know your thoughts on, but I don't think we have time to really get into, into it today. We'll, do, we'll get it. That teases tomorrow's show, AP. That's a good Perfect. tease. So do you guys usually, uh, sorry, this is not a great show that I'm asking this just straight up. Do you guys usually wrap right at nine or you go to 9.05? Uh, sometimes go, well, we usually go into the live trading. So we usually try to wrap it a little bit sooner, uh, like at nine o'clock. So then go to the live trading. Are, are we doing live trading today? I know Mitch is away. So is there a live trading show? Yes, there is. So we should probably start wrapping up then. Start wrapping up over to live trading because we've got live trading for you guys. So get over there. Oh, Tommy shared the link to that demographic video from uh, Chris. I forget uh, the guy's name, uh, but it's in the in the chat if you guys want to check that out. But all right, cool. That leaves uh, that lets us just tease tomorrow's show because that means we've got a lot of things to yes. get to tomorrow. Dennis, uh, great job today. Thanks for hopping on with me. Hope everyone enjoyed the show. Sorry that Maybe. you know. It might you rocked it, man. This guy's like seems like a seasoned veteran when he's on here. That you rocked it, AB. Great job. Well, you know, you only have one person to thank for that, and that's your 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 old BFF, Spencer Israel. I had the pleasure of getting to come in the office every morning and watch Spencer do his thing. Uh, you know, I know the chat. There's probably a lot of people that miss him, but I, I mean, doing this show and then like you know doing other stuff throughout the day i'm like man how did spencer get in every morning and do this and then do that and do this and always have the same energy i mean that was truly a rock star so you know definitely yeah. uh and, just, and just... we still love spencer we still obviously keep up with spencer on x if you want to call it there so i mean ab you learned from one of the best spencer israel was awesome at his job Yep. Um, all right, Dennis, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Dorito, maybe I'll hop into live trading for a sec just because I'm already here. But yeah, thanks again, everyone. Make sure to smash the like. Uh, follow Dennis on Twitter at Triple D. It's in the chat as well. We'll be back tomorrow. Peace and love, y'all. Happy trading and stay green.